Hello and welcome to the Most Pleasant Exhaustion Podcast presented by ITL Coaching and Performance. My name is George Darden. I'm an athlete and endurance coach here in Atlanta, Georgia. On this podcast, we do interviews, we review products and workouts, we talk about training philosophy, we preview races, and we discuss issues of interest to the local, national, and international endurance community. Thanks for listening. Thanks for all the visits and the likes on the Facebook page. Uh, This week's episode is a conversation with Will Kramer, who's the manager of Westride, a great running specialty store here in Atlanta. A lot of folks sent in questions over the course of the past week or so, and we appreciate those, and we wove them into the interview. Uh, During the interview, we talk about the benefits of shopping at a running specialty store versus department store or buying on the internet. Uh, We talk about the emerging trends in shoes and gears. We talk about the difference between expensive shoes and less expensive shoes. We talk about what folks should look for if they're buying running shoes but not actually planning to run in those shoes. We talk about which shoes you should choose and which shoes you should wear to race if you have orthotics. We talk about the effect of the minimalist movement on runners and on running shoes. We talk about the effectiveness of compression socks and other recovery gear. Uh, We talk about things to consider if you're constantly getting blisters um, and the technical aspects of socks. Uh, And finally, we talk about what Restride in particular has done to promote women's running, not only here in Atlanta, but around the United States. So without further ado, let's get to the interview with Will Kramer. So we have with us tonight Will Kramer, who's the manager of Westride in Atlanta. Uh, Will's a native Atlantan. He went to Grady High School in Midtown Atlanta, where he was captain of the cross-country and track teams. Uh, Between cross-country and track, he had several top ten finishes at the state meet. He led his team to several city championships. His senior year, he led his team to a top five finish at the state meet in cross-country. His high school coach was his dad, Jeff, and as it happens, Jeff's assistant coach was me. Uh, at Villanova, he kept on running. Uh, when he was graduating, he started working at Westride, and at the time, Westride was pretty much a brand new running specialty store here in Atlanta. Uh, Will still runs a lot now, and for those of you who are local runners, Will was the winner last year of the Publix Half Marathon. Uh, Peter, who is one of our podcast listeners, as a matter of fact, Will, uh, wanted me to ask you why it is that you're sucking up all of these Strava CRs in his neighborhood. Um, so, so. Uh, I, uh, uh, all of the Strava alerts I get now are that are being taken away from me. So, <laughs> I, I could ask lots of people the same question. Yeah. I, I, I always have to put the disclaimer on the public's win that uh, last year was the first year they didn't offer any prize money for top finishers, so I had a, the deck was stacked for me a little bit. Oh, um, man. Win, win, wins, win, wins a win, man. A W is a W, yeah. so, so I, I thought it was great. Uh, we appreciate you being with us, Will. So, um, given that Will is is an expert in in shoes and gear and all that sort of thing, uh, we have lots to talk about with Will today um, about what's coming out. So, uh, I think the first thing to talk about, though, Will, is is uh, about specialty running stores themselves. There's a lot of them around the country. There's some here in Atlanta, um, but even given the fact that that y'all have a specialty in running and you specialize in running shoes and gears and that sort of thing. Still today, most running shoes are sold in big box stores, um, either shoe stores like, like Dick's sporting good, or even something like Macy's and something like that. Um, a lot of people turn to the internet to buy shoes on sale instead. Um, so why would a customer want to come to a specialty running store like Westride? Um, we kind of view what we do in specialty running as, you know, we are a retail space first, but we're also a community organization. Um, so shopping at, at specialty running, whether in Atlanta or whatever kind of whatever market you're in, um, when you shop at, at specialty running or any local business, you're investing back in your local community. Um, mm-hmm. There's some pretty amazing stats about um, sort of the way that 
money to reallocate it back into the local community. When you shop locally, uh, either, either the tax dollars, um, or through donations and support that we provide for local schools uh, and, and charity organizations. So first and foremost, we, you know, I think shopping at any local business and, and running specialty in particular um, is a way that you can invest back in your local community and help drive the local economy. Right um, so that's a, you know, a very broad level answer. Um, And those, those questions are knowledgeably answered, like you said, by a wide variety of people. And so it's not like yeah. you're going to have some guy who would run a marathon an hour faster than you trying to tell you what shoes are right for you. You could actually be talking to someone who, who is, is very much the same as you. Um, Who's had the exact same experience, exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and we really try to make everybody feel like they're like their own journey is, is kind of equal. So we, we, we treat everybody the same who walks in the door regardless of this. They're an Olympic trials qualifier, which we have several of here in Atlanta, or if you're just, uh, you know, someone who just started running in their late 40s and has never run a step before. Um, so it's, um, you know, everybody we try to, we, we treat equally and, and approach with the same kind of attention and care. Right um, and we also, uh, running trusty stores really do try to build community around themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, we host lots of events for runners. We host group runs. Uh, we sponsor local races. Um, we uh, support high schools um, with different initiatives. Um, we can either hosting teams at the store or going to high schools and doing clinics and that kind of stuff. So we really try to create programs and create um, events that get people excited about running and, and that make people want to gather together and, and celebrate running. I mean, running is a great way to build community and it's um, something that everybody can do. So Definitely. Um, we feel like what specialty running as an industry is just is the hub of, of each running community in which they exist. Right on. Yeah. You, you you just came from a from a group run that was hosted out of the store, isn't that right? We did. Yep. Yeah. And we, uh, so every Wednesday we have a group run, and then we have, um, yeah, depending on the week, uh, we, we do a, a beer run at the end of the month, and we always get like 
twice as many people <laughs> at that run. Beer is a great draw for runners, we learned. A um, beer run, you said? Oh, okay, it took me a second. Yeah, beer. beer. So do you, do you all, like, pass out beer? Or? <laughs> yeah, no. We, we meet at, like, a, a, a local brewery uh, and run from there. So Cool. Uh, but, uh, yeah, runners will definitely come out if there's, if there's adult beverages involved. <laughs> Very cool, very cool. Yeah, and, and definitely I think too, like as you were talking about, I was thinking about how when I go into West Stride, well, two things I was thinking. One, when I go into West Stride, I kind of feel like these are my people. Do you know what I mean? Like, like you know, there, there are times, and I think all endurance athletes, runners, triathletes, whatever it is, there's at times when you sort of feel like like you're the odd man out when everybody's cheering for football and, and, and all that sort of thing. And then yeah. you, you go into West Stride and it's like, okay, these are my people. These are people who run and spend all this time and money and energy doing this thing that other people think are kind of insane so yeah yeah, yeah very cool yeah another thing um, that we talk about a lot is the, the idea of having like a curated selection um, I mean the internet's fantastic because you have access to every single thing that exists you mm-hmm. know but right. a lot of times I think it's helpful to have somebody that's around the product a lot and that's, a, that's around running a lot so mm-hmm. to help you just narrow the scope a little bit mm-hmm. um, there's so many different products out there and so many different new releases and different ideas about how to run, I think it's good to kind of like tell someone who knows about running what your experience has been and what your issues have been and what your goals are and have just somebody consult with you to kind of narrow down and curate what's available and what's best for you. Yeah, yeah. And And in fact, I can speak from personal experience. I... For a little while there, a couple of years ago, I was sending Will email about once every two or three months asking him about everything. So, so yeah, and then I, I yeah, <laughs> and then I'm I'm also the guy that when I go to West Stride to try on shoes, I take an hour and a half and I run in like every pair that's in the store. So, um, so so yeah, if 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 anybody out there is worried that you're going to annoy them, you can rest assured that 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 they would not be annoyed with you at all because I've already kind of plowed that ground. So right, we're we're well seasoned at this point. Yeah, yeah. Right on, right on. Well, that kind of, you know, you're talking about being a curator um, or or kind of having a curated uh, selection and sort of being a filter almost uh, reminds me of a question that that was posted by by one of the listeners of the podcast on our Facebook page, um, Jacqueline. Uh, And Jacqueline wanted to know basically if there was really a difference between the expensive and less expensive shoes. Um, She said that, that she has a high turnover on shoes because she runs a lot of miles. Um, and so she doesn't want to spend $150 every single time she, she, she buys shoes. And so can you talk a little bit about you know, expensive versus less expensive, what you're getting for the money, all that sort of thing? Sure. Uh, I, mean, I, I, I differentiate between um, kind of specialty shoes, like what we carry, and sort of like rack room shoes. So I think sort of when, you, when you get to about the $100 price point, I honestly don't think that there's a huge difference between a $100 specialty running shoe and a $160 specialty running shoe. I, okay. think. I mean, there are differences, but I think one is not inherently better than the other for a particular individual. Right. Um, I do think that shoes that, that you know retail for 50 or $60 oftentimes are not made with as durable or as resilient materials. Um, I think that... Um, some of the, the more kind of specialty shoes do incorporate design features that allow the shoes to, to move more seamlessly and more fluidly with your foot mm-hmm. than some less expensive models do. Okay. But I think if you were to 
like an ASICs running shoe that we carry, for example, like the Gel Tumulus, which is their sort of flagship neutral cushion shoe, versus the Gel Nimbus, or um, which is their more premium cushion shoe. I would I wouldn't say that the Gel Nimbus is better because it's one hundred and fifty dollars than the Cumulus. Okay. Um, I think it's softer, it feels different, it performs a little bit differently, but you know, you're not necessarily going to do yourself a disservice by not getting the most expensive shoe on the wall. Right. Um, and we, you know, we talk a lot about you know really trying to find you know each runner is sort of an experiment of one, um, and finding the shoe that works best for you uh, as an individual runner uh, is a process of trial and error most of the time, and so. It, it takes a few tries sometimes to, find, to figure out which one is going to be the best for you. Um, I do think the shoes that we carry are more durable than, like I said, than, than what you might get like a DSW. Um, mm-hmm. But um, you know, kind of when, when you get into like the specialty world, um, you know, you don't have to go with the most expensive shoe in the world to get the quote unquote best shoe. So, so then the yeah, so 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 the the dividing line then, if you will, um, is not between the expensive or the more expensive shoes you carry and the less expensive shoes you carry, but it's rather between the shoes you carry and the shoes you don't carry. Is that kind of a way of saying it? That's, yeah, that's how, we, that's how I would break it down. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, you know, we, every year, we, uh, or every six months, we, we look at, you know, the product coming out. Um, we, we book everything about a year ahead of time, or six months ahead of time, um, and, and really try to take the stuff that we have the most faith in and we think is going to, work the best for our customers but cool. um, we also look at a lot of stuff and we're just like this doesn't look like a doesn't look like a shoe that we would feel comfortable presenting um, yeah. as, a, as a as an option um, so we um, it, 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 either because it looks too it looks too like cheaply made um, and, it, and it, it sometimes it takes you know a little time to kind of be able to differentiate there but um, you know we, we really do try to find stuff that fits around the foot well and that and that offers something unique and, and a good value. Um, that's people just want a good value, I feel. Um, yeah. So if, if they have to pay a little bit more to get a better perceived value, then um, I think that that's a, that's a win. Um, yeah, and I, I, I like what you said about how how you're, y'all aren't going to put a shoe in your store that you don't think people should be wearing. Um, correct. So, so, so your, your standard for deciding what you're going to carry is not what's going to sell or what's going to make us the most money. It's, it's okay, we're not going to carry a shoe that we don't think somebody could helpfully run in. Uh, Absolutely. I think that's yeah. cool. I think that's great, actually. And I, I think that's another thing that, you know, we were talking about specialty running stores, certainly another thing that sets y'all apart. Uh, yeah. So kind of speaking of going to those programs and, and, and uh, looking at different shoes and that sort of thing, um, are there any kind of big changes on the horizon for 2016? Are there some kind of new and interesting shoes that are coming out and some trends in shoes maybe? Yeah, um, I think there's a, there's a couple of things that we've seen. We were um, we just went to uh, the running event in Austin in December, which is sort of the the annual trade show for the running specialty industry. It's um, called it's called the running the running event. Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. Um, so it's, it's, it's really cool. We kind of get to see what what have people have coming down the pipeline. Um, and we're, we're seeing for me, uh, there's kind of three different uh, three things, three trends that I that I saw. Um, one is that that wearable tech um, and really trying to uh, you know have products that you can wear that give you really detailed metrics about your running. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like it's infiltrating everything. So um, a couple brands are coming out with shoes that have 
um, motion and weight sensors that will track your cadence. It'll track how much weight you bear on each side of your body. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll track you know distance and pace um, in the shoe itself. Um, yeah. So Ultra's got a shoe wow. um, that's coming out like that, and Under Armour, I believe, also has another one that's um, that's got some of those sensors in it. So seeing the wearable tech trend um, that we see with like fitness daily fitness trackers and stuff right. um, being, is being integrated into footwear now, which is pretty cool. Wow. Are they, do they, with those, do you, do you download your data from the shoe after your run or do they communicate with your, with your Ant Plus watch or? or? Yes. So most of them, uh, I know the Ultra watch has a specific, or the Ultra shoe has a specific watch that it partners, that it pairs with. Okay. Um, so there's, you do have to get like a bundle package and these shoes are pretty, they're around $200. Um, so you're, they're still not, um, you know, sort of at a median price point yet. Um, but, uh, but yes, they they do pair with a watch, uh, and then you can download that data onto hmm. I, I imagine onto your um, you know online tracking app right. of right. choice. Um, so that that wearable tech kind of making its way into footwear is one thing. Um, another thing that we uh, that I'm seeing a lot is, is a lot of like focus on the fit of the shoes, and we're seeing a lot of different um, kind of knit uh, materials uh, being incorporated in the upper. Of the shoe of, of shoes that we're seeing, uh, and a lot of like really soft engineered mesh. So trying to get away from you know a lot of synthetic overlays um, that can constrict the foot, um, that add weight, that add stiffness uh, around your foot, and and moving toward um, more kind of woven materials um, for right. the upper portion of the shoes is something that we're seeing a lot of brands do. Um, so you know Nike kind of pioneered that with Blinded um, okay, in, in yeah. 2012 for London. Um, and then uh, Adidas has incorporated a lot of mesh material, um, and we're seeing some other brands working it in as well. Um, Brooks is making their shoes a little bit more uh, engineered mesh focused, so um, we're seeing that quite a bit as well. Um, and for the third one that I, I think is kind of cool is, uh, you know, EVA has been the traditional cushioning midsole um, material for mm-hmm. years and years and years, right. um, and we're seeing companies experimenting with new midsole materials, which is kind of fun. Um, so uh, Adidas, you know, debuted uh, the Boost midsole, which is a, a right. GPU-based, um, very responsive, very kind of springy-feeling midsole um, a couple of years ago, and we're seeing companies kind of playing with different um, different midsoles there, too. So Saucony's got Everrun, which is going to be incorporated into their whole line, um, and has a kind of similar feel to Boost. Um, and... Uh, ASICS is actually coming out with a shoe that's got um, Kevlar uh, incorporated in the midsole. So, um, Kevlar? Yeah. So, um, so just, just in case you need to stop a bullet with your shoe while you're running? Right, yeah. You don't have to be faster than a speeding bullet. You just have to hey, have like, I see what they did. Yeah, yeah. very nice. Um, so, um, but uh, but I, I, it's, it's, it's cool to see people playing with different um, different materials in the midsole, um, in their midsole, and and. You, know, you, you really do feel a difference um, when, when, when there's different materials incorporated into them. Very um, cool. So all, all, all the more reason to come into West Ride and actually run around in the shoes rather than... Yeah, than, try yeah. them out. Yeah, very cool. Very cool. Um, that's, that's, that's all new kind of innovations from the, from the vendor end. Um, I think the other things we're seeing is, I mean, people just want more versatility in their shoes it seems mm. um, so people want shoes that they can run in that they can go shop in when they get done running that they can um, that they can go to workout classes in 
Um, I think there's a lot of information about the changing demographics of the running population. Um, mm-hmm. And people like you and I that are really, you know, hardcore running, training, uh, you know, want to run fast are becoming a smaller segment of the population. And mm-hmm. people that are running for the community aspect and or incorporating running into a larger fitness plan are making up a larger percentage of people that are participating in races and, and right. running programs and that kind of stuff too. Right, right. Um, that, that, that makes me think of like like CrossFit, for example, because like mm-hmm. they, you know, I know I know a few people and I coach a few people who are CrossFit people, yep. and and they'll go and and they'll do fifteen minutes worth of, of weightlifting and then they'll run a mile as hard as they can. Well, I mean, if you're going to be running a mile as hard as you can, you can't be doing that in a shoe that's not you know built for running. Um, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, um, that makes me think also about another question. And another uh, listener uh, asked a question on Facebook um, about shoes for people who don't really run a whole lot. Because there are a lot of shoes in it. As a matter of fact, most like isn't it that the majority of running shoes that are sold actually aren't even worn to run in or something like that? Um, that I wouldn't doubt that. I mean, if you're if you're accounting for like Nike Freebies and uh, yeah. even, you know, kind of like New Balance Heritage shoes, like that would. That would make a lot of yeah, yeah. So I mean, are there are there so so for people who are looking for a comfortable kind of all around type shoe? And I know my mom has bought a come into West Ride and bought a, a shoe from you as well before, and and, mm-hmm. and she's not a runner. Um, but uh, but <laughs> but are for people that are looking for to wear running shoes as their everyday shoes? Are there certain features or models that they should look for if they're not planning to actually run in the shoes? Yeah, I mean, I think uh, again, it's, it, it varies so much depending on the individual. But I think the key thing that you should look for in any footwear is, is a proper fit. Um, I think people have a tendency to wear their shoes too small uh, and okay. to uh, not account for foot swelling or foot splay that occurs mm-hmm. throughout the day. Um, and so I think uh, if you're buying a, a running shoe to just kind of kick around in, you know, the first thing I would I would recommend is just making sure that it's that it's big enough. Mm-hmm. Um, and, a, and a good rule of thumb is that you know. Most running shoes, uh, you'll size up a half size or a full size bigger than what you'd wear like in an everyday dress shoe. Okay. Um, so keep that in mind um, if you're looking into getting a running shoe. That's that's just a kick around shoe. Um, and then, you know, other than that, I mean, I think there's less, you know, less focus on sort of the function of the shoe relative to your biomechanics if you're just wearing them around for for, for kicking around. Mm-hmm. But um, you know, I think if you're if you've got a history of, you know, foot pain um, and traditionally wear a really supportive shoe for running, I wouldn't necessarily get like a, a barefoot mimicking shoe to walk mm. around in. You know, mm. I think getting something that's that's roughly comparable to the degree of support or cushion that you wear to run should be what you look for in a running shoe to kick around in. Okay, um, I gotcha. But, but fit, I mean, fit to me is really like the key thing to look for. Um, as far as that's concerned, um, just making sure you got enough space in the shoe. And is is that something? Do y'all see customers at Westride who are buying running shoes not to run in? Yes, uh, we do. Okay. Uh, it's my, I. Uh, Besides I my know, mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like your mom, like like my mom. My mom just walks around the neighborhood and like wears our logo around and cheers people as she passes them. So she's just out there, you know, walking around the neighborhood. But. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, yeah, we do. Like, we definitely have people that are um, that that just come in and want a shoe to kick around in. It's funny, like that. A lot, a lot of times, that the 
process of finding a shoe for those people is, is more difficult than it is to find a shoe for somebody that needs a running shoe um, because there's so much less of sort of a fitting process involved in yeah. that interaction. Uh, it's more just about sort of how the shoe looks um, on their feet than it is about you know, how it really performs for them okay. biomechanically. Yeah. Um, so, you know, um, sometimes you have to work a little bit harder to find a shoe to kick around in than to find a shoe to run in. I can imagine. Well, so talking about biomechanics kind of leads into another question that came from a listener of the podcast. Um, Chrissy posted on Facebook uh, about orthotics. Um, and yeah. she, she wears orthotics, and I know a lot of podiatrists recommend orthotics and that sort of thing. Um, but she wonders how that kind of changes um, uh, what shoes she should be looking for and how that should affect racing flats and just all sorts of things like that. How does that kind of change your calculus and uh, at West Drive when you're trying to put somebody in a pair of shoes if they have orthotics? Sure. Um, so we actually, when we opened, uh, we worked really closely with um, uh, Jim Fox, an orthotist here in Atlanta. Yeah. Uh, he, he builds orthotics and works in a, um, a shared a space with a, with a physical therapy practice. Um, so we worked really closely with him and we were kind of developing our fit process. So our our thought is really informed um, you know, with orthotics in mind. Um, our philosophy, and it, and it does vary, I think, depending on what store you're at um, or what, you know, or podiatrist you talk to, we really try, if you have, especially custom-made orthotics, we really try to keep you in a neutral cushion shoe so that the orthotic itself can be the support that you get and it's not compromised by additional support coming from the shoe. Gotcha. Um, so for us, if you have an orthotic, especially a custom-made orthotic, um, we, we 99% of the time recommend wearing that orthotic in a neutral cushion shoe, um, okay. first and foremost. Um, the other thing that we look for is, is you really have to make sure that the orthotic has room to kind of fit flushly inside the shoe. Mm-hmm. If the shape of the shoe doesn't quite work with the shape of the orthotic, the orthotic won't fit properly, it won't fit flat, and so that obviously will, will alter your biomechanics and will alter the fit of the shoe negatively as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, you know, we really try to find something that is going to just provide a nice neutral platform for the orthotic to do the work that it's designed to do. Um, you asked about, you mentioned uh, racing flats as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yeah, my thought, you know, depending on the distance of the race, I think anything up to like 10K, um, the goal of racing flats is just to be as light as possible. So I would say that you can race without your orthotics and most people are usually fine with that. Um, I know there's a lot of like psychological benefits of orthotics as well um, that go beyond sort of the, the medical, biomechanical benefits that they provide. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're more comfortable wearing your orthotics to race in, then by all means wear them. But um, for shorter distances in particular, I think you can get away with, with just having your racing flats be as light as possible um, right. to cut down on weight. Right on. Um, but we don't, you know, if you have orthotics, we recommend wearing them for, for the, bulk, the bulk of your training for sure. Very good. Very good. Um, thanks for that. That's a that's a great answer and some really interesting and good insight there. Um, Thank you. So it's kind of shifting over a little bit um, to still t- talking about shoes here. Um, you mentioned the, the the tech changes and the knit changes and the the midsole changes. Um, a few years ago, there was a big t- push towards minimalism in footwear, and I think that was probably best represented by you know those five finger shoes, the Vibram five finger shoes that became really popular for a little while there, but then. 
Uh, they've kind of fallen out of favor and then recently had that big class action lawsuit where they had to, to, to pay out a whole lot. But, um, but, but certainly that kind of push towards minimalism has kind of swung back a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. can you, can you talk a little bit about that, about, about kind of where the pendulum is, if you will, as far as like, like minimalism and not wearing a whole lot on your feet versus back in the day where, you know, cushioning was best and, and yeah, can you, can you talk a little bit about sort of minimalism versus maximalism versus cushioning and all that kind of sort of thing? Absolutely. Yeah. So I think we, uh, when we opened in 2008, we were about, um, we were ahead of the minimalism craze by about two years. So we, we were still very young when that happened and still kind of trying to like figure out our identity. So I don't think like, I think the, the, the minimalism moment uh, is one of the best things that's happened to the running industry in a long time. It's one of the best um, things. I do. I do. I, do. Um, I, I don't, I don't, I don't uh, recommend wearing five finger shoes um, for all of your mileage. In fact, we, we carried the five fingers for about a month uh, and then just had to get out of them because we just, nobody on our staff really got behind them. No one believed in it. Um, and it just, we, they didn't work for us. Um, but I, the, the reason I say I think it's one of the best things that's happened is because it's forced us as an industry to reevaluate the way that shoes are designed. It's forced us to reevaluate the way that we categorize shoes and the way that we present shoes to customers. Um, I think the, um, the, the, the pendulum swung so far minimal that it, it had to kind of come back in the middle again. Mm-hmm. Um, and what I, the, the biggest result that I see is that it, it's gotten people thinking about form as it relates to their long-term health, and it's gotten people to understand that there is more to staying healthy than just the shoes itself. I think that running shoes prior to this moment had been marketed in such a way that they were almost like corrective and, and it's like you were coming to a running store to have a shoe prescribed for you. Um, and I've, I've always kind of rejected the idea that we like put people in shoes um, and um, sort of independent of their choice, if that makes sense. Um, yeah. So I think that minimalism has gotten people to think about running form it's really opened up that conversation quite a bit and it has kind of changed the geometry of footwear moving forward. So, you know, there's, there's shoes like Hoka that are, you know, um, you know, crazy maximally cushioned. They're super thick midsoles, but the heel to forefoot relationship in those shoes is actually very much in line with sort of minimal ideology. Right. All of their shoes are six millimeter, uh, offsets or lower. Um, and, we're seeing brands like Saucony. Saucony during that time dropped all of their um, their core models to an eight millimeter offset, which at the time was pretty like revolutionary and pretty radical for them to do. Um, and it's and it's gotten us thinking about footwear sort of uh, in terms that that talk about the feel and the experience of running in the shoes, and less about footwear in terms of being a, a prescriptive like corrective apparatus to, right. to, to magically change some inefficiency in your gait. Right. Um, right. So I, I think I think in a way that it that it sort of re-energized uh, conversation and, and forced people to rethink about how shoes are designed, I think that the minimalist movement was fantastic. Um, so a couple of years where like everybody was coming in asking for five fingers and we didn't have them, that kind of sucked. But, <laughs> but um, I think, and again, you know, I go back to just the idea that, that every runner is an experiment of one, right? Like some people are going to be able to wear no shoes and be perfectly fine. Some people need additional support. And I think it, it, 
it reinforced the idea that there is no sort of magic shoe that's going to work for everybody all the time. Um, right. And that having, uh, having choices and having maybe an assortment of shoes that you rotate between um, for different purposes um, can be really helpful. So right. I, I, I think it's the, the long-term effect, I think, is good. Yeah, and, and you mentioned rotating between various pairs of shoes. Research has shown that people who change their shoes get injured at a lower rate than people who always run in the same shoes. Really? Um, so it, it change their change their shoes for, during the change the same training cycle or d- 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 during during the same training cycle. So 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 yeah. it's not and and they didn't in, in the. In the work, they didn't distinguish between people who change their shoes, like because they put on racing flats and then they they do their workouts in racing flats and then train in different shoes, or if it's people who do a training run on Monday in one pair of shoes, a training run on Tuesday in a second pair of shoes. They didn't right. actually distinguish that, but they said basically if you are training in or running in more than one pair of shoes, you have it's actually significant. It was it was something like half the injury rate or something like that. I'll have to look it up and put it in the show notes. Um, yeah. I mean, that, that, that just makes so much, like, logical sense to me. I mean, if you think about, you think of how repetitive an activity running is, mm-hmm. that if you are, if your foot is in the exact same position every time you do this highly repetitive activity, like, there has to be a higher instance of, of injury. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think my thought always is that any way that you can introduce some sort of variation, be it with different shoes or different terrain or different, um, even, like, different, uh, intensities of running, I think you're probably going to lower your chance of injury. I, I to to, totally agree. I totally agree. And I'm glad you mentioned that different terrain and different intensities because you do run differently on different terrain, different intensities. That's sort of a way of mixing it up as well because I totally agree with you on that. Yeah, very good. Very good. Um, you mentioned uh, you mentioned Hoka's. I think it's interesting because um, – you know, it's it's thinking about the minimalist movement kind of blowing up the way we think about shoes. So you have you have Hoka's, which you know, in 2014 I wore Newtons for a little while. I wore Brooks Flow for a little while, um, which are also kind of considered part of the minimalist movement. And then I wore Hoka's for a little while. And of the three, the Hoka's were the ones that felt like I was most barefoot, if you will, when wearing them. Um, but but yet I felt like I was barefoot walking on a big huge thick carpet, <laughs> you know. Um, but but yeah, they, they they were the ones that felt like they allowed my foot to move the way it was going to move anyway. Um, right. Most of the three, and you wouldn't think that obviously by looking at all three shoes lined up next to one another. Um, right. So yeah, but 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 it's just, it's just such a different like lens through which we evaluate and look at shoes. Yes, and I think you know a lot. We sometimes say like the shoe that's best for you is the one that doesn't even feel like it's on your foot, and so it kind of sounds like Hoka for you was the shoe that just kind of acted as like an extension of your foot. Or yeah, yeah, um, yeah. So, definitely, definitely. Yeah, it was interesting, and it's it's. I'm always kind of experimenting because of that. That everybody's an experiment of one thing, so too definitely mm-hmm. very good. Let's uh, let's let's talk about gear. We've talked a lot about shoes, but let's talk about gear. Is there, are there some big changes or exciting innovations in gear that we can be on the lookout for in 2016? Yeah, um, so. A lot of, I think, what we're seeing um, is, is, again, like just that wearable tech trend becoming more and more common. Um, so, we're, you know, a lot, of, um, a lot of gear companies are coming out with, you know, optical heart rate um, watches that are, um, that, you know, read your heart, heart rate directly from your wrist. So, it cuts mm-hmm. out the need for additional gear, for additional uh, straps and all that stuff. Right. And really, what I, I feel like what, the innovations we're seeing as far as gear uh, goes are, are trying to do is just reduce the amount of stuff and clutter. I mean, I think hmm. society 
worldwide, we're, we're seeing a lot of trend toward kind of reducing um, excess and, and reducing the amount of clutter and extra stuff we have. So a lot of the, the gear innovations we're seeing are, are attempts to kind of make this uh, easier to do. So um, lots of watches, um, you GPS or just heart rate monitors uh, coming out that, that are um, using that optical heart rate, um, which as a side note is still not quite as accurate as chest-based heart rate, but mm. um, it's, it's still pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Um, there's, uh, you know, there are insoles you can get now that, that measure, again, the, your running metrics. Mm-hmm. Um, so they measure like the, the force that you're experiencing on each foot as you're running. Uh, and I just saw a thing, there's like calf sleeves that can measure your lactic rest, the, your lactate threshold. I saw those I too. Amazing. Yeah, um, yeah. So um, I think a lot of what we're seeing is just trying to, is, is uh, products that are trying to incorporate what we already buy and what runners already look for and, and adding little sort of lifestyle metrics, uh, fitness metrics that you can uh, that you can incorporate into your everyday life. Um, Very good. Very yeah. good. So, so when you say reducing clutter and like that kind of move towards reducing clutter, does that mean that that companies are making clothing that you can like wear for multiple different occasions or is suitable for like a wide range of, of different conditions and stuff like that? For sure. Athleisure is still, is still hopping as far as I know. Um, <laughs> so um, yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of our... Um, a lot of the apparel lines that we see and that we carry now um, are really designed with technical material, but the silhouettes and the, and the prints and the patterns um, are very transferable from workout to daily life. Um, so I, I, it does seem like um, technical material, I mean, even like high fashion now, you know, um, technical material being incorporated into some like very prestigious high fashion lines. Um, right on. Um, and, uh, you know, Kanye West has some, you know, $3,000 jackets from Adidas that you can get if you really want to go crazy. Y- y- but, y- um, y'all carry those at Westride? I wish, man. If we could carry <laughs> Kanye, it would be a dream come true. Yeah, but, and then, then maybe he could come there and uh, and, and do a promo uh, from, from Westride. Oh, man. Don't even get me started. That would be like, <laughs> that would be the, the ultimate. I love it. Right on. Very good. Uh, so, so a couple of kind of gear specific things. A couple of uh, of, of listeners uh, wrote in questions. Um, one had to do about recovery, like compression socks and all sorts of things like that. Uh, I feel like there's always something new coming on the market about about recovery. Are there are there particular recovery garments or recovery gear that you all carry that you recommend? Yep, um, we've actually just started carrying um, two times U or two XU uh, compression gear. Um, I think. With compression, it's it's always interesting to me um, because there are people who like swear by it and who you know love it and who, who rave about the, the the performance benefits, the recovery benefits. But science hasn't quite yet like right had, had it proven that there are performance benefits for compression with a compression apparel. Right. Um, so um, you know, I, I think you can't really so you can't really downplay the again like the psychological benefits of wearing compression gear mm-hmm. um, but I, I, I do believe that there are some very real recovery benefits uh, right. wearing compression so um, you know two times you for us is a, is a, is a, a nice uh, is, a, is a good compression brand um, we used to carry another brand and just found that everything was too stiff and, and heavy and didn't breathe well um, okay. and so two times you for us is, a, is another brand again that kind of um, moves better with your body it fits better um, and it, it, it 
does provide a lot of that still compressive support that helps encourage blood flow to the areas that are being compressed and helps provide a little bit of stabilization for your muscles. Um, so we have that. We do. We carry a couple of different brands of, of compression socks and sleeves. Um, and again, for me, the, the sort of the undeniable benefits there are more in recovery than in performance. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, I love putting compression sleeves on. If I do like a race in the morning and I have to work the floor at the store in the afternoon, it, it, um, it really does make my calves feel like they're not as fatigued um, and, and not as sore uh, in, over the next couple of days. Plus, so, you, um, plus you look super cool as you walk around the store. Yeah, man, for sure. <laughs> get, a, get a little flash of neon green. Absolutely. <laughs> right on. Right on. Very good. What about um uh, another listener, Lindsay, asked about uh, blister prevention. She said that that every time she and she's done an Ironman, but every time she does does long distance stuff, be it training or racing, she ends up with blisters. Is there is there any solution to the blister problem amidst all the other tech that's coming along? Yeah, well, I'm I'm curious to know like where her blisters are, like if they're on the ball of her foot or if they're uh, under the arch or if they're between her t- you know, I think there's a lot of different factors that could be at play there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, yeah, there's lots of like different anti-chafing solutions you can use. We carry uh, Teuton, which is like a silicone-based uh, roll-on um, applied uh, option. And there's Body Glide, which is sort of the industry, um, sort of like the Band-Aid of, uh, right. of, of anti-chafing Balms. Um, so you can you, you always use those kind of products to just help reduce friction. Um, we always like for us the whole fit process for shoes starts with socks. So having good socks is a is a good way to try to prevent blisters. Um, having socks that are not cotton, socks that fit around your foot nicely, so there's not a lot of additional material to kind of bunch up and, and move around um, while you're running, mm-hmm. um, and socks that that you wick moisture away so that your feet stay a little bit drier mm-hmm. as you're running. Um, mm-hmm. I think always help with uh, preventing blisters. Um, the shoe fit is a big thing as well um, as far as blisters go. Um, so making sure that your shoes are, are the right size, not too big, not too small, um, would definitely help prevent blisters. Um, and then um, there, are, there are biomechanical factors that contribute to blistering as well. Um, I think if... if, if uh, you know, for customers that have repeated issues with blisters in the same spot all the time, I think it would be, it, it may warrant sort of evaluating your biomechanics and thinking about what your foot's doing inside the shoe as you're running, either to help, uh, you know, like your toes maybe are clenching in order to help you balance or your foot may be moving around too much. So there's a lot, a lot of different factors that could be contributing to blisters. Um, but for us, I mean, the most important gear for that is, is socks. Um, just having good socks really does make a big difference. Um, but I haven't, I haven't seen any specific new product that um, that uh, that addresses blisters directly. Um, and this this is going to sound like an odd question, but but as much help as y'all give with choosing shoes, can you help with choosing socks as well? Oh, for sure. Yeah, mm. I mean, we uh, <laughs> people are always amazed how like technical socks get, um, but we have. Uh, socks that are different thicknesses. We have some socks that have merino wool uh, in them. We've got socks that uh, have a left and right foot specific design. So you get like more support under the arch and they look really like fit snugly around your foot. Hmm. Um, different socks are made with different fibers that feel slightly different. Um, so, you know, we, we carry three brands. We carry Features, which is our, our big brand. Uh, and they've got several different socks in their line. 
um, we carry Belega, which makes a line of really soft and, and less fitted um, socks. And then we carry Swiftwick, which is um, one of my favorites, and they just have they do some compression stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, there's a lot, there's a, a lot of different variety uh, in the sock world too. So. Very good. Yeah, Swift Swiftwick's a southern company. They're out of Chattanooga, isn't that right? They are mm-hmm. actually all three of the brands are, are southern. So um, oh, very good. Based in Hickory. Uh, North Carolina, and then Belay Golf, I believe, is in North Carolina, too. So. Very cool. Very good. Absolutely. Very good. Very good. And so, you know, kind of along a, a similar line, this kind of gets back to the orthotics question before. So so when someone comes in to, to Westride in order to try out some shoes, um, they should bring their orthotics, they should bring their socks, right? Uh, yeah, definitely bring your orthotics. Um, if you don't have socks, like we always pull a fresh pair of socks off the wall for people. So mm-hmm. if you like them, you can get them. We donate them if you don't like them. But um, that's kind of the first piece cool. of, of any shoe fit for us is to start with like a, a fresh pair of technical socks just so you can at least see how the socks feel and how they how they fit inside the shoe. Right um, if, somebody, cool. if somebody's like, I got, you know, socks on, socks on, socks, then we don't force <laughs> them on people. But, um, but generally, that's kind of how we start. I think I think we just figured out what the what the name for this episode is going to be. Socks on socks on socks. Yeah. <laughs> right on. I told you that Will was a native Atlanta, and you might not have believed me, but but there you go. Socks on socks on socks. There we uh, go. <laughs> very good. Um, and then so bring in your socks, bring in your orthotics, and then it's worth mentioning too. You know, before we talked about how how shoes, you have a standard. Uh, that you don't drop below, and if and if a shoe falls below that standard, you flat don't carry the shoe. Um, and I assume you have the same standard for socks as well, right? For sure. And, yeah. and for uh, gear at large. Say it again. And, and for gear in general, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we 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 meet with vendors, like I said, six months, six to eight months um, ahead of time um, before each season. Um, usually, we, we booking season for us is in July and September or and, and uh, December uh, typically. So we. Uh, View the whole line. We kind of assess um, the performance of similar shoes within the line, and, and really do try to make um, very informed and, and very thoughtful decisions about what we decide to bring in. Um, we don't get we get it wrong a lot, but we, uh, we we do get it. You know, we really do try to bring the stuff in that we think our customers will like and that our staff can get behind, Great. Um, and stuff that's gonna gonna work for people in a, in a variety of ways. So. Very good. Very good. Um, yeah, Westride, like you mentioned, it, it's such a great community organization. You've done so much to support the community. Um, when my wife did Race Across America a couple of years ago, Westride actually donated several things to fundraisers for that, um, which, which I very much appreciated. Um, but speaking of my wife, and this is going to be my last question for you, um, my wife has noticed that, uh, and she has told a lot of her friends, that Westride seems to be particularly good at stocking clothing and being aware of the needs for women. Um, is that is that part of y'all's mission? Is that something you try to expressly do, or does it just happen that you're just so awesome in every way and you're awesome for women as well? <laughs> well, uh, you know, we like to think it's the latter, uh, <laughs> but it it, uh, it is. I mean, uh, we are the only woman-owned running store in the city of Atlanta, um, and um, kind of providing a place for um, for women to feel comfortable and 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 welcome, I think, is really important. I think a lot of sort of your traditional images of running stores can be very male-dominant and very kind of like, you know, my dad's garage kind of in how they're set up. Um, So they're, um, 
when Jeannie Beaver was the owner of the store, um, you know, kind of was coming up with the idea, like having a place where women could run and be comfortable and be excited to run was very much sort of at the forefront of her, of her thought process. Um, and so she and, um, she and our marketing uh, manager, Stephanie Jacob, actually went to Chicago and led a, a, um, a roundtable discussion series at the running event for women uh, last summer. Um, and it was a sort of a retail summit where they brought in um, female retailers from around the country and sort of talked through um, where they see the industry going and how they can help support women's uh, participation in running and, and how they can really make their stores um, more viable and more accessible to their their, their female customers. So, um, so, y'all, are, so y'all are national leaders in that too then. Very cool. Very good, very good. Um, well, Will, we appreciate it. Uh, tell us what you're doing this weekend. I know you're doing something cool this weekend. Yeah, it's all, we're really excited. Gene uh, and I are going um, to Los Angeles for the Olympic Child Marathon. So awesome. we're going to be hanging out with the people from Brooks running and uh, enjoying the city and cheering on all our um, all our friends from the Atlanta Track Club and across the country that are trying to qualify for, for, the, for Rio. So it's been really, it's really exciting and um, it's a great opportunity and we can't wait to go. Leaving tomorrow at seven AM. Awesome. So. Very cool. Yeah, by, by by the time I actually push this podcast out on Monday, the trials will be over, so we'll have to be uh be talking about it. But um uh but yeah, have fun, man. That'll be great. Thank you so much. I appreciate you uh thinking of me. Hey, Will thanks, thanks so much for being here. It was great, it was fantastic. We really appreciate everything you had to offer. Uh again, everybody, West Stride, uh located what's y'all's address? I know it's on West Paces Ferry. Exactly. Very good. Very good. Thanks again, Will. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me, George. This was fun. Appreciate it. All right. And so there you have our interview with Will Kramer, the manager at Westside Running Specialty Store. They're located, as he said, at the corner of Northside Parkway and West Paces Ferry in Atlanta, right across the street from the OK Cafe. You can also visit them online at westride.com. On their website, they have a listing of all of the group runs that they sponsor that they hold there out of the store. Uh, I encourage you to not only go by there and visit when you need gear or when you need shoes, but also to take part in some of their group runs. Uh, It's a great store. It's a great group of people. As you heard me say during the interview, there are people. Uh, You'll feel very much at home when you walk into West Drive. Uh, I want to say a few final words here on this Valentine's Day before we sign off. A lot of folks wrote email over the course of the past week uh, and made comments on Facebook about the near misses that we discussed last week and the way that near misses can be even more motivating than wins. Uh, Gordy actually wrote to me uh, and said said that he was wondering about the near miss of Cam Newton. Uh, Cam Newton, is, as many of you know, got a lot of attention, a lot of negative attention for the way that he acted during the press conference following the Super Bowl. Myself, I thought that the, the criticism of was a little bit overblown, uh, particularly given the fact that so much had been built around his success at the Super Bowl, and then he lost, of course. He was he was very dejected by that. Um, so Gordy wrote to ask, he wondered how motivated Cam Newton was going to be for the next Super Bowl, for the next big season, uh, given the fact that he got so close to uh, this huge goal, an unbeaten season, uh, and, and a Super Bowl championship, and then, of course, fell short of that. Uh, I submit that he's probably very motivated, and that he will probably be back in the gym more than anybody else. Um, 
speaking of, of motivation and near misses, uh, we talked to Will about how he was going to be in the marathon trials or going to the marathon trials to, to, to watch Atlanta athletes and other athletes from around the country run and try and make the Rio Olympic team. Uh, the, Mar- the marathon trials were yesterday. Um, I recorded the interview with Will before the trials, but they were yesterday. They were Saturday, the day before Valentine's Day. They were on February 13th. Uh, and the winner of the women's race was Amy Cragg. Uh, and you really need to look no farther for how near misses can be motivating than looking at Amy Cragg. Amy Cragg in 2012 finished fourth in the Olympic marathon trials, which meant that she was one place out of qualifying for the U.S. Olympic team for London 2012. She said numerous times in interviews leading up to the trials, uh, and then said numerous times yesterday that finishing fourth at the Olympic trials in 2012 was the best thing that ever happened to her as an athlete. That over the course of the last four years, she has been focused, she's been motivated, and she's been entirely trained on trying to qualify for the Olympic team in 2016. Uh, She put on a master class yesterday. She was clearly, clearly the best runner in the field, um, and and she ran a brilliant race. Uh, if you watched the race, it was interesting. She did hang back a little bit over the course of the last few miles, trying to make sure that her teammate and good friend, Shalane Flanagan, also qualified for the team, and she did. Um, sorry if I just spoiled that for anybody. Um, speaking of near misses, though, I did want to also draw attention to, to one last piece of news out of the running world, uh, and that is the retirement of a guy named Matt Tegenkamp. Uh, Matt Tegenkamp was a 2001 U.S. Junior Cross Country Champion. Uh, He went on to finish fifth at World's Juniors that year. He went on to Wisconsin, the University of Wisconsin. Uh, He was fourth in the world uh, in the 5K in 2007 at the World Championships, fourth. Uh, So one spot off the podium. Uh, He was the U.S. champion at 5K in 2009. Uh, He's run 102 for half marathon. He ran 47.57 for 10 miles. Um, he's uh, one of only six non-Africans ever to run under 13 minutes for 5K. Uh, you heard me right when I said that under 13 minutes. He's run 12.58 for 5K prior to his retirement this week. Um, he's American record holder in the two mile. He's run 8.07 for two miles. Um, for those of you who are uh, from here in the Atlanta area, in 2013, Matt Tegenkamp was the winner of the Peachtree Road Race. Um, he ran his first marathon in Chicago that year. He only ended up running two marathons. Uh, but interesting stat about him, Matt Tegenkamp is the only American ever to be ranked in the top 100 all time in both the 1500 and in the marathon. Um, now, all that, a brilliant career for this, uh, this runner, uh, but he only had one U.S. championship in track, and it was that title that I mentioned in the 5K in 2009. Uh, Let'srun.com had a nice retrospective on him that I'll link in the show notes on the blog, um, and so check that out. But they wrote in there, As great as Tegenkamp was, there always seemed to be someone just a little bit better. As a junior, he got fifth at World Cross, which would have been the best finish by an American junior since the East African nations began competing in 1982. But he wasn't even the top American, as Dathan Ritzenheim finished third that day. In college, Tegenkamp was incredibly good throughout, but early in his career, Bernard Legat's brother, Robert Chesseret, was unbeatable, and then a resurgent Ryan Hall claimed the title during Teg's redshirt senior campaign. As a pro, Tegenkamp likely would have been a four-time U.S. champion. He was runner-up three times in the 5K if Legat hadn't switched his citizenship to the U.S. from Kenya. Tegenkamp was also second twice more in the 10,000, losing to Galen Rupp each time. And, of course, Teg's sub-13 would have been the first American-born sub-13 in 13 years, save for the fact that Dathan Ritzenhain did it a week earlier, unquote. 
So we can certainly uh, uh, show a great deal of love and appreciation for Matt Tegenkamp, somebody whose whose career was informed and motivated entirely by near misses. But at the same time, we don't want to in any way have that take away from his brilliant career. Uh, a fabulous runner and somebody who was inspiring to all of us along the way. <laughs> And that brings us to the end of episode three. Thanks again for joining us, everybody, and happy Valentine's Day. Don't forget us to follow us on Twitter, at Pleasant Podcast, on Facebook at facebook.com slash pleasantpodcast, and our blog at mostpleasantexhaustion.blogspot.com. That's where you'll find all the show notes, including all the various links that we discussed during the show. Uh, don't forget to follow ITL Coaching on Twitter at ITL Coaching, on Facebook at facebook.com slash ITL Coaching and Performance, and online at itlcoaching.com. I want to give a quick shout out to my wife. She has a brand new business here that's specializing on helping athletes travel to race destinations. In particular, she can get race numbers for already sold out Disney races. So look her up. She's on Facebook at Casey Travel Planner, MEV. Uh, and you can drop her a line at Casey at UGA.edu. That's Casey, K A C I E. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you next week.